0: Welcome to a great edition, a very special edition, in fact, of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Medium Angelo, joined by my co-host, Dan, the man Sebastiano. Danny, how you doing? I'm
1: good, Angelo. Looking forward to this. uh, How you doing?
0: I'm wonderful. Dan, you have a uh, sporting a new hat this week. Do you you have one in every color?
1: Yeah, I do. It starts getting a little warmer. You get uh, get the nice linen ones out, but the wool ones away.
0: I, I I keep threatening, you know, I, I don't know if, if you the heard the last show, but Brian, I keep threatening uh, to tell Rico Costantino that uh, Dan is a cross between he and Wolverine and uh, yeah. the battle of the mutton chops here.
2: I can see it. I can see yeah. it.
0: That's <laughs> and I'm also joined by director, actor, writer, producer, filmmaker extraordinaire mike the movie maker messier mikey how are you tonight
3: i'm pretty excited Ah. angelo because uh we've got a young guest on tonight i was a fan of his father's i'm a fan of his and uh it's always interesting when you start becoming a fan of young wrestlers and then you see their second generation become young wrestlers too so i guess i'm getting old buddy but it's pretty cool to be uh, (laughs) talking to this guy tonight i'm excited about it
0: good well i am too um I've had the pleasure of uh, meeting our guest previously, and uh, it was a a brief encounter, but he made quite an impression. And uh, he's making an impression, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, everywhere he goes, he began his career in February of 2017 by announcing to the world that he would follow in his father's footsteps. That decision was met with uh, a great deal of anticipation And uh, quite frankly, was met with uh, a little concern by others. And we'll get into that in a little while. He uh, made his pro wrestling debut for the New Jersey-based CZW company in January of 2018 at Dojo Wars. And later that same year, he signed with MLW Major League Wrestling in May of 2019. In fact, a year ago this month. He was a surprise battle royal participant at AEW's inaugural pay-per-view event, Double or Nothing. He is a second-generation legacy wrestler. He is a man who is making it out and carving out his own way in this crazy rough-and-tumble world of professional wrestling. It's my honor and my pleasure to introduce a man I'm proud to call a friend. Would you please welcome Flying Brian Pillman Jr.? Brian, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, hey, hey! How's it going? Careful, hey, putting that going. Door, how are you, putting young that, man? Putting that flying in there, I don't want to be. I don't want them thinking I'm flying all the time. Right, I'm grounded and technical and yeah. and safe. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna have a long career, not a short one. You know.
0: Well, and we're gonna talk about <laughs> that.
2: For- we're
0: actually going to uh, that's a really a great segue. Well, We're going crazy. to talk about it, that.
2: It's crazy if you think about it. You know, my father only wrestled for what 11 years, you know. So, it's like, damn. Um, you got guys that are wrestling for 20 and 30 years these days and and working into their into their old age, guys getting back in the ring. So, with all the technology and things we have, we just got to we got to take care of our bodies these days.
0: Absolutely. You know, Brian, um a lot of times you know, a moniker can make you or break you. Do you feel at any time pigeonholed by the uh, the flying Brian moniker?
2: I feel like I did a good job of not, you know, pigeonholing myself in there. Like, I still use, you know, the nickname on social media and stuff sometimes, you know, like on my Twitter or whatever. But yeah. uh, as far as, like, being advertise for matches and stuff. I always tell them, you know, it's just Brian Pillman Jr. You know, I don't have to be flying Brian. You know, I can be Absolutely. a million other things. You know, there's an entire canvas of, of art that we can work with in the wrestling ring. And, you uh, know, I try to just keep it, you know. Uh, Bruce Hart always told me, you know, if you're going to do something, make sure it means something. Right? Absolutely. So I'm not just going to do stuff and jump off stuff just for the hell of it. i um, And yeah. make sure it's a huge moment, make sure it means something, you know. Um, I don't be Absolutely. doing dives and stuff unless it's a big match and unless the match builds up to that point, you know,
0: if, if, well, if you're only you give ten,
2: if you're only give them eight to ten minutes, you know, why would you start jumping off shit, you know, sure. you start start jumping off shit when you can't win, you know, when it's a long match, and you just don't know what else to do. Sure. You're kicking out of everything. So you're like, oh, well, fuck, what do I do now? I guess I'll jump off some shit, you know. All so right. Off the top Where did road. the moniker
0: the, the promised prince come from?
2: <coughs> huh?
0: Where did the promised prince come from?
2: Well, that's kind of my expression of of my story and and how I think that you know, uh, by with my dad naming me Brian, he sort of promised to the world that that I would wrestle and that I would carry on his legacy. So, and of was course, was it you,
0: almost a foregone conclusion? I know you um. You didn't enter wrestling immediately. You, you really gave it some thought. You worked uh, an yeah. office job. You had a I regular gig. It.
2: I fought it for many years. You know, I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want to stoop down and, and, and try to you know pick up somebody else's you know uh, legacy. I was always warned about you know stepping in those shoes and following in those footsteps. And I was warned about the bad side of it. And and, and not, very, not very many people. Put me over to the good side of it all the awesome things that I could accomplish and I think people are just afraid of of what might happen you know if I did get involved in the business but yeah the business is very different these days and uh, it's very lucrative and and it's very enjoyable a lot of guys are are not out doing wild things you know there's not as many guys partying and drinking and driving and stuff and and getting in trouble so you know, I think it's uh, I think it's a great time to be a wrestler. It's a great career to to remember. It really
0: is. It really is. You heard me say at the beginning of the show that when you uh, when you finally announced that uh, you were going to follow in your dad's footsteps, uh, you were met with uh, you know great acclaim, and there were other people who weren't so eager to say, mm, you know, does he really really want to do this, uh, or you know, is he headed for that same road, you know, that's always a concern and I'm old enough to, to appreciate that sentiment because I've seen lots of second generation, second and third generation wrestlers really fall by the wayside. I got to say to people and I'll say this to you and I've, I've said it privately to you, but I'll say it publicly. You're a guy that's making his own way with his own name and kudos to you for it, brother.
2: Thank you. Quite it's been, it's been very hard to to separate that, you know, separate that shadow from, from who I am. But, you know, that's why I just I approach I've always approached wrestling with kind of a clean uh, with a kind of a clean slate. You know, I'm not really ever trying to copy anybody. I watch a lot of I watch a variety of things. You know, I don't just watch WWE or I don't just watch this yeah. or that. I just I watch all kinds of shit, you know, and just try to you know, I just try to be a mutt of styles. You know, a mixture of styles. That way, nobody can like you know try to pinpoint where I got what or how I was inspired by this. Right. I'm I'm focused on being creative and and trying to make people second guess. Oh, well, where did he pick that up from? Or oh, that's kind of innovative. You know. Yeah. So to me, and that's right. how I approach everything. When you life. um
0: when you started out with CZW, was there any resistance uh, <coughs> by any of the other boys? Um, the fact that you're, you know, the son of a a pretty damn well-known pro wrestler. Did you get any resistance or pushback because you're Brian Pillman Jr.?
2: Um, you know, I only actually did a couple, uh, training shows with them called Dojo Wars. Um, That was so early on in my career. I think people were still um you know just excited to see what i could do and and actually you know dj hyde and czw guys all those guys were actually really helpful um at the beginning they were probably the most least judgmental group um as far as the different like small town training groups i've gone to um in the northeast they really took care of me and 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 uh they helped me kind of get started, you know, and get get in touch yeah. with Teddy. And Teddy would come to those training shows and kind of take me under his wing and teach me a few things. And then eventually, which what came to be the Hart Foundation and MLW, you know, yeah. kind of start up there, um, you know, going to Dojo Wars. And and so I never actually worked at CZW main roster show. I only did the Dojo Wars. Yeah. But the people I met along the way, you know, that that kind of. Got me started, you know, in that in the Northeast area and especially MLW. Um, they do so much business in New York and Queens and stuff. So,
0: oh, sure, you
2: know, yeah, I made those connections in the Northeast because that's where like a lot of the best wrestling is, you know, and a lot of the good talent is. So,
0: absolutely.
2: And I ended up getting a girl up there, so it made things even easier, you know. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Hey,
1: Brian. Uh, I just want you to you know uh angelo mentioned before we kind of look at the human side of things i had a chance to see you uh, in your early career you performed here in virginia and you, you made some comments in one of the promos you, you had about uh you know the, the natural flow and, and basically like you, know, you were born to do this i'm curious because it wasn't uh, an immediate choice when was the moment can you kind of expand on when the moment was when you woke up and were like i'm gonna be a wrestler
2: it's crazy because most people probably be like, oh, well, you know, it was this long decision. It wasn't just one day, one moment, but it was always sitting in the back of my head. That's true. But there actually was a very single fucking moment where I was just like, I'm fed up with it. Like, I'm doing it. Like, I actually woke up one day and made a phone call as soon as I, as soon as my eyes opened up that day, I started making phone calls. Cause I was like, I'm done. Like I'm done with this normal life, you know, crap. I want to be something greater and I want to uh, use my gifts and the, in the way I look and then in my physical ability to, to make a living. You know, I was tired of just relying on, you know, the office structure of things and, sure. and and kissing ass and just, you know, doing what pay- was the first call you made. Uh, I called Steve. I called Steve Austin. I just I asked him where I could train and where I could get started. And then we talked you've about been, Brian, well,
0: you've been very, very fortunate. You have a you have a, a handful of really, really good wrestling uncles. Uncle Steve Austin is one of them. Uncle Kevin Sullivan is another. <laughs> you know. Um you've got uh you got a lot of uh a lot of great relatives there, brother. Um were blessed. they straight with you?
2: Were,
0: <laughs> were they straight up with you? Did they shoot well, with you? I, I they...
2: was uh I wasn't even finished telling you just how it came to be, you know. Oh uh, yeah, please. Because what like what really got me was I I I had uh, you know I'd gotten this big boy job at a college, I had my degree, um, you know, I had my own house and uh you know, like I had a couple roommates, but, you know, they bought a house and they were like, hey, you want to help us, you know, with this house? You know, just pay rent. You know, it's got tons of bedrooms and stuff. I'm like, hell yeah. So I'm living with my two best friends from high school. Everything in life could be perfect. But for some reason, something was missing. Right. And, and I would go out and I would get stood up by girls and, and, and girls wouldn't want to hang out with me or talk to me. And I'm just like, why am I so, you know, unattractive? Why am I so dull and boring and, and, and why you know why is everything just a routine and, and that so really I went out with some friends and like uh I went out with this girl I was totally into her hanging out with her and she ends up leaving to go hang out with some guy because he had cocaine or something and I'm just like if that's how the world works at the fucking good kid that fucking got the job and has fucking got the money, you know, sharply dressed, you know, can talk well, educated, and he can't get fucking because some other dude's got a bag of coke on him, you know. Yeah. And I thought, if I'm gonna get ahead in life, I gotta be a little bit more dangerous, I gotta be a little bit badder, and I gotta I gotta do something to up my cool factor. And I thought there's no better way to to get into my own skin. And to, and to really, you know, show these people what I'm all about and to really follow my my genetics and my history as a person. And instead of trying to be yeah. normal, I was trying to be normal for so long that I realized that trying to be normal is the easiest way to fall into obscurity. And you got to try to be better. Oh, you absolutely. To be
0: better. I am so glad. So, yeah, some girls bitched
2: me and I'd be, I said, fuck it, I'll be a wrestler. So. I want everyone in the world, you know, one day when I'm the, the WWE <laughs> champion, to thank that girl. We're all gonna give her a call and say thank you, thank <laughs> you. Exactly. For, thank you for Go dumping ahead, I've Seen Brian Pillman Jr.
1: Well, it, it, you had uh, Angelo brought up the point of your your wrestling uncles and the advice. Um, how did that How did that conversation when you you said your first call was to Steve <laughs> Austin? And then I assume, you know, later conversations you had with Uncle Bookerman and, and the rest of your family. Uh, did you have uh, how'd that conversation with Steve Austin go?
2: Well, he originally had uh, told me to go over to, to Les Thatcher just because that was the most local thing to me, um, which in all reality would have been a great idea. But Les had no longer been training guys. You know, he didn't really have a ring set up and a, and a, and a rigorous schedule or anything. And I was like, yeah, you know what? uh let me go with lance because lance has this huge facility you know he's got a structure he's got a schedule and and he knows what he's doing super safe guy and and super prestigious trainer and then that's when steve was like oh hell yeah i didn't know you know he's like if you can go up there if you got the money to go to Calgary and live and i was like well i got you know unemployment and i'm living on that so i'll just go live in canada for a bit (laughs) there you go because they laid me off because I told them I wanted to be a wrestler. And they were like, well, I'm going to lay people off in June anyway. So we'll just help you go live your dream. And and I wasn't mad at all. I was he- happy as hell to be laid off.
0: Good <laughs> go ahead, Mikey.
3: I listened to your interview with, uh, I believe his name is Chris Van Vliet.
0: Yeah, and, he's the man. Yeah.
3: And uh, you guys had a really good rapport. And you told that story about how, uh, you happened to get you know laid off and were able to collect unemployment, which kind of in a way facilitated your training, which is awesome. and uh, one of the things you said to Chris that I wanted to kind of follow up on, Brian was you're very aware of uh, your neck and your your brain as far as taking headshots, unnecessary uh, stiff headshots and you know, as wrestling fans, we could all clamor for the eight, the, the days of Bubba Ray Dudley smashing, you know, Louis Piccoli over the head with a chair shot. But yeah. I, I, I saw that in person and almost it looked like it was going to kill the guy, you know, that particular chair shot. But we, we've come to a point where we realize more about concussions mm-hmm. and some of these high impact moves, which might look great for the fans, but for the guys that are taking them. Um, I just want to ask you, how do you go into battle how do you go into that arena of wrestling and and just as a lesson for other young wrestlers to have a great match but don't sacrifice quite literally your
2: neck or your brain in doing it yeah it's 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 crazy because i've never actually met a promoter that was like you better go out there and, and bleed or you better go hit each other and have a chairs. you know what i mean so right. to be quite honest it's a lot of the times it's the boys Bringing it upon themselves, you know, a lot of these risks are being taken. It's like, oh, well, the promoter pressured me into it. And I'm like, no, no, he didn't. You know what I mean? Like, you know, exactly. they want to do it because they want to get the pop and they want to, you know, they want to get the reaction. Right. A lot of guys live for the pop. man. They they, they, they don't give a shit how much they're being paid. If they can hear a crowd reaction. And I get it. I love the pop. I love coming to that curtain. Yeah,
0: but the question becomes, Brian, at what cost?
2: Yeah, at what cost? You know, I'm I'm very blessed. I'm very lucky. I have a a sort of mystique and star power that I can come through the curtain and get a pop. You know, some other guys have to hit each other across the head of the chair. I've never taken a chair shot to the head. I take them to the back. I give them to the back. I've never hit anybody in the head of the chair. Okay, I'll take that back. I took a a fucking step stool to the back of the head, but it was from you know it was from L.A. Park, you know. I didn't, I didn't know enough Spanish to tell him
0: not to. No, no, me used to remind people that you've only been doing this for three or four years, so you're really, really young in the business. I mean, really young. And so you've got uh, not only a long career ahead of you, but you've got a a body of work behind you already that speaks volumes for the kind of worker you are. If you have any input or or say about it, are you able to to mentor or coach you, uh, you know, younger guys or guys your age that will maybe will listen to you because of who you are?
2: And, well, that's the thing. I, I, I gotta, some of that I gotta, wisdom. Yeah, I got a young guy um, here in the area named James Lee, and uh, he was training at one of the local schools, but. You know, the, the problem you run into with wrestling is, you know, if it's not your school, you know, if it's not your training facility, you just got to kind of keep your mouth shut and, and 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 not offend anybody because, you know, everybody trains and coaches a different way. But to be fair, um, there's a lot of things I see that, you know, they they could be doing better. and That, that might be wrong, but uh, I go to the training to help out and I go to kind of – you know, show my idea. Thanks, but I can I can't make them drink. You know what I mean. I can lead them to the water and say, "Hey, yeah. you need to get on your social media. You need to go get booked other places and quit just hanging out at training and doing the student shows." Hey, yeah. you're ready for this. Hey, you, you want to get in a car? You want to go to Chicago? But these kids in this local fed this training school. I'm not saying any names put anybody put anybody under as opposed to putting them over. But if yeah. I put them over, I'll tell you it's a great school. It's led by one of the uh, ex-WWF referees, and, and he's a great trainer. And all these kids are super well-trained. Their problem yeah. is that they live in this super – they have this super small hive mind mindset that they're just going to make it to the WWE if they just keep going to training and keep doing the student shows. And, and like, the independent scene isn't as modern here in Cincinnati. It's still a little bit old school – um, it's not as big as shows, you know, it's not drawn as well as it did back in the day, you know, with the HWA and the Midwest used to have, um, Cincinnati used to actually have a lot, a big, lot bigger wrestling events than they do now.
0: Sure. Oh my God. Yeah. So
2: I tell these kids, I'm like, look, we got to go to the hotbeds. we got to go to Chicago. we got to go to New Jersey, you know, the Northeast, we got to go to all these other places. And then lo and behold, there's one kid that gets in the car with me to go to all these places, you know? So, and that's 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 part of it too, man. It's just like when you're in a like a like a craft like this, you just got to open up your mind and be willing to to yeah. you know make sacrifices and take chances. And it's just it's crazy to me because I have all the advantages, right? So I. I would expect, if I'm taking these risks and these chances to drive all these places and to do all this stuff, but, like, the young kids that have nothing going for them don't want to do it, but they see me doing it, but they're like, it's weird. It's honestly the craziest thing ever. It it blows my mind every day that these kids, they say that they want to, you know, make it to the WWE, but they don't. They think that like... They're My not question has like, always the indies, been... like the indies are like too beneath them. I'm like, no, the indies are like literally how you get there. Like, I'm doing like that's why I tell them, I'm like, why do you think I'm doing this? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm <laughs> not I mean, if I wanted to, I would just go ask for a tryout, but I understand that the better way to have a more respected and illustrious career is to is to really oh, start. Well, let me tell you time. something.
0: I I and I'll say that I'm, I'll go on record as saying this. If you play your cards right and you're good at what you do, you can make a living on the indies. When people yeah. say to me, go "How right do now. I get? How do I get to the WWE?" I, I my my first question is, "Why would you want to?" Oh
2: yeah, why why, why would you want to go straight there? You know, when you can yeah. make all your mistakes out here. Right.
0: And exactly. You go
2: there, they're like, "Damn, this guy's." Is- you know they can't see through your shit because you're just keeping it simple and you're smart because you've already done all the dumb shit on the indies. They're like, exactly. why is this guy so reserved? Why is he such a solid worker? You know, oh, he's got really good ring cardio. Is that because he fucking wrestled five years on the indies, or did he sit twiddling his thumbs? You know, like you don't just wait. like I, I've met guys like that too that are like really big athletes. or yeah. they're like real big bodybuilders, and they'll ask me like, oh man, you give me the WWE. And I'm like, yeah, meet me at uh, you know, I'll give him the address of the local school. And I'm like, Yeah, you gotta pay this guy twelve hundred dollars and he'll train you to be a wrestler. Uh, and then you gotta drive to shows for the next two or three or four years and, and, yeah. DVDs. and then and then and then you might get a tryout. And then they hear that and they're like, Oh man, I gotta do all that. I can't afford the training. Like, you know, I just go to yeah, the exactly. I'm like, all right, go to the performance center, get your tryout. I'll never see you again. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> you're exactly right. Go ahead, Dan. yeah, I was
1: just gonna say it's it's sad because you see that a lot. you're you're not the first person, I think even that we've had on the show that's mentioned that where people want they want the results, but they don't want to put the effort in. But I exactly. think it's it's interesting today, especially I'm sure you've seen it in your experience, is there's more talent on the indie market. That wants to stay on the indie market, like Angela mentioned. You know, they, they enjoy what they do. They're honing their craft. They're, you know, uh, five, maybe three, five years in, and I think you're in the perfect window there. So, uh, let me expand yeah. on that thought, or, or I should say, ask you to expand on that thought. Um, you talked about the indie markets, uh, the the go to areas: New York, New Jersey, Chicago. How does how does one get from a small area where maybe you were you, you mentioned when Austin had you training to getting to Chicago. I mean, do you, do you put your own feelers out there? Do they recruit you? Do you just show up one day and say, Hey, uh, uh you know, I want something. How does that, how does that go about walk us through that?
2: Well, just like anything in life, I think the biggest strength in, in pro wrestling is networking and, and meeting people and making friends. And, and, you know, I can keep going on about it, but it's always through social media and it's always through, um, yeah you know people that are willing to put themselves out there and tweet about Absolutely. certain things or even just cut a promo and put it on twitter um you know just just doing your best to to be out there to you know you got to treat yourself like a star you know you got to really you know you got to be very outgoing i, I always say that you know, there's two types of people that are going to succeed in wrestling, and and it's you're either super passionate about it and you love it, and you'll literally cut your arm off to be a pro wrestler, or you're batshit crazy, and you're just a crazy person. Yeah. And oftentimes those two things intersect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Oftentimes absolutely. the passion and the craziness will intersect, and then you get a hell of a, a hell of a worker. But I'm telling you, most of the, the like I've never met somebody that I was like, man, he's really normal. <laughs> and he yeah, was right. also, also a successful good wrestler. You know what I mean? Yeah. Every successful good wrestler was either batshit, passionate, crazy about it. And then they were kind of normal. Or they were just batshit crazy. <laughs> and it didn't matter how much they loved wrestling. They were just that fucking well, crazy. Well, let, let's talk about We're going to be drawn to it either way.
0: <laughs> Brian, let's talk about that fine line. You know, uh, your father's moniker for a long time was the loose cannon. I had the chance to know your father a little bit. And I will tell you, uh, for people who don't know, Brian Pillman was a fucking genius. Straight up. He was a genius. Uh, A mad genius, sometimes, yeah. But so was Dusty Rhodes. So was Vince McMahon. So was any great mind in wrestling. And I will tell you, that the the line between genius and insanity is like Carl Lander walking the tightrope. Yeah, it's you know a, it's a thin line. So do yeah, you wish. do you now at this point in your career, Brian? Do you still get that inevitable comparison to uh, to to your father, Brian Pillman?
2: You know, I think uh, I think people are starting to realize me for my own strengths and weaknesses for sure my own performances but there has been some rough patches where people have tried to you know force me into a role that i was not comfortable with or they tried to book a match that just made no sense you know like with all due respect to kevin sullivan um we had that match up in seattle at this historic ballroom arena yeah thousands of people and it's like we go out there and you know the, the the Booker wants me to be this bloodthirsty, savage, loose cannon beast. I try to tell him that's not me. I don't do that. Um, right. I show him the clip of of me in, in the Heart Foundation kind of beating up on Kevin Sullivan. I'm like, hey, this is what we did on MLW. Like, see, we're just kind of like we're bad dudes. But, you know, I still wrestle. Like, I still want to have a match with him. And he's like, oh, no, you're going to go out there and – And you're gonna be bloodthirsty and you're gonna kill him and and there's gonna be there's gonna be lots of color and kevin's like yeah i'm gonna get all this color and and then they had a thing where he was gonna blow a fireball in my face and and it all and and I don't know. I guess the the clips are out there now on Botchamania. But it all just kind. Of, <laughs> and it, and I watched it. It, yeah. ended up, it Ended up being funny. I thought it was hilarious. I was like, "This is." Well, isn't it even-
0: tells me here's a guy that he shouldn't be a fucking promoter and should be out of the damn business. Yeah.
2: So it's like I don't I don't put it all on Kevin and all. I don't and, and maybe the promoter just had a creative idea. But um, I think it. I think the responsibility falls on on both of them too. I I don't think Kevin's completely not at fault, but the fact of the matter is they put a young dude in there that was not, you know, as experienced, and I just wanted to have a fucking wrestling match, you know? Yeah. I tried to call a bunch of spots with him, and that's the thing. If Kevin would have been receptive to my ideas and just said, hey, let me call a couple spots to you, because I tried talking to him and stuff, and it ended up just all falling apart, you know? It was the biggest... Well, you know what? I'm going to pick up on that. that's the thing, like, out of all the shit that I've been through and could have done and that was the worst thing, I'm I'm not even mad about it. Cause some some people could have set me up for much worse scenarios, right? Mm,
0: but you know what? But I'm gonna pick up right there where you left off. Because of all the people who should know the distinction between Brian Pillman and <coughs> Brian Pillman Jr.
2: This was early in my career, so I can see where, you know, they were kind of fantasizing about this idea and they might not have really understood what i was all about you know they just still yeah. had clouded thought in their mind oh we're gonna have tillman jr come up here and he's gonna drink kevin sullivan's blood and get revenge <laughs> and then there's be fire and there's you know it's like jesus Christ, dude. like i couldn't and then i was like what do you want us to do like and he's like oh well it's just gonna break down and it's gonna go nuts and then the commentator's gonna walk up and you're gonna shoot on him and then i'm gonna come out and you're gonna shoot on me and And that's
0: why some ideas are better left alone.
2: Hey, so I straight up punched these guys because I was pissed for real. So I was like, fuck it, I'll punch them. I don't give a shit. You want to get punched through a stupid-ass angle when I just wanted to have a match in front of fucking 3,000 people in this historic ballroom and you make me go out there and have a fucking abortion? You know, it's like, fuck you. Mikey
0: Messier, go ahead, babe.
2: Well, I
3: just... um, What I was going to say earlier was that, uh, Brian, what I've respected about your career so far is kind of that... um, maybe the wrestling fan or the promoters that were fans of your dad want to pigeonhole you as you were saying to be loose cannon number 2 or carry yeah. on this tradition of controversy and madness and but you've really gone the other way which I like in that it's it's not a insult but you kind of are doing the white meat babyface thing at oh, least yeah. the, you know and the what do you call yourself um the king of the mullet the mullet king
2: <laughs> yeah yeah
3: so, I mean, th- that is working because it's kind of a throwback to uh, the early 80s. This is your baby face.
2: This is your good guy. This is yeah, your. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's working for you. And um, the crowd doesn't have to think about it. You know, I come through the curtain. They see a blonde mullet. They smile. They know who the good <laughs> guy is. Right. Exactly. Right, you know? The story is told as soon as you take a step out there. Right. The story starts telling itself. Mm-hmm. And if you if you can do enough of your storytelling outside the ring, then you don't have to do as much when you get in the ring, right? Well, anyway,
0: brother, the mullet's over. Let's be honest about it. And if, if the guess... other guy
2: comes out, and he's wearing all black and he's got vampire fangs. Okay, we know that's the bad guy. So <laughs> when the match when the match starts, we get right into it. You know, we don't have to do all this precursory, you know, step selling and out wrestling and who's you know who's out wrestling who and who's getting pressure with yeah. who. We can just start the match. That motherfucker can jump me. And I'm already in peril, you know. I'm, <laughs> ho- I'm like, I'm oh, I'm already over, so just jump me and get get into the heat. Exactly. you're <laughs> no, shaking though. No, I, I was going to say. I- you should, uh- I want
0: Mikey just b- before you continue sure. that. I want people to know. I saw Brian uh, wrestled a local favorite here, Breaker Morant. Yep. Wrestling him in uh, in October. Now here's a guy that's uh, that's in you know Uber babyface, right? <clears throat> Brian got the pop. Okay. Brian. Brian got the pop. Nice. By the time the match was over, they didn't know who to cheer for, (laughs) but they certainly weren't booing anybody.
2: Right. I was trying to boo. And
0: (laughs) and, and Brian, you remember that night, it was a a really small crowd, but they were really into it.
2: Yeah, they were very receptive to what we were doing.
0: Very. I think there was only maybe 100 people there.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, it was a, a miserable night out. And, uh, It looked like at one point the locker room was going to outnumber the crowd, but, (laughs) you know. Now, let's talk about that. When you're working, do you work the same intensity for 10 people that you do for a 1,000?
2: I mean, I I definitely work the same uh, level, you know, of craftsmanship, for sure. I definitely try to have the best match I can because I know that— Every time I get in the ring, I'm being filmed and I can't, you know, I can't just mail it in on any given day. But, you know, there's certain obviously there's certain risks that you're going to take in front of a bigger crowd that you're not going to take in front of a regular crowd, you know. Yeah. But I've never been big on doing guys to the floor anyways. So it's like, yeah, if I'm doing a small show, it's not that much different than me doing a medium show. Sure. I just I only amp things up when I'm doing a huge show, you know. Like I've never done the front flip dive over the top rope, but when we return to Mexico and and, and me and Davy Boy are undefeated in Tijuana, yeah, and they got us going against these other really over guys, and then you know, in front of three thousand people, sure, I'm gonna do a fucking front flip and and be caught by two, you know, two hundred and fifty pound burly ass luchadors. And, and it feels like Falling on a mattress, you know It's completely safe, then yeah Hell yeah, but you know, in front of That crowd there, you know, wrestling Breaker, who's, to his credit He's a bigger dude, so I probably would uh, Be comfortable with him catching Me, but usually if there's Only one guy, I say, fuck that You know, there's two guys That's just fine Two people can catch me
0: Absolutely, and the man
2: Uh, Because one guy, he might hurt himself trying to catch Me or something
1: I, I was gonna uh, expand on a point Mike brought up. You were you were talking about the uh, getting shoehorned in and the idea of this being the cut and paste you know, Brian Pillman Jr. and you've seen that in in some of the the second and third generation superstars where they just kind of get watered down. But then they, on the flip side, you have your say like a Bray Wyatt where they've never once mentioned his familial heritage. Would you be willing if? the character called for it to be someone where you go your career without acknowledging
2: that you're Brian Pillman Jr. You know, I, uh, I think about that too. Cause it's like, Oh, well, what's the WWE makes you change your name. I think that I am is enough of a, enough of a performer that I would probably enjoy that challenge. And I would probably not mind it at all. Uh, I think it would be a weird now that I've sort of, you know, Opened up about my story, my journey with the public, and, and I'm on this kind of crusade to get back into the WWE and, and reclaim my father's legacy. So it would be kind of odd for me to do that, but I think as an evolution, you know, down the road, I think I should. You know, I think there is going to be a point where my my range will need to be tested as a performer, and, and if they're like, "Hey, we want you to try this gimmick," and you know, and I'd be like, and I, I'm, obviously you're not going to say no, right? Um, right. But obviously obviously with Bray Bray, they're just kind of it's kind of like okay people know you know about his history but like like you said it's not a main factor of his character but while I'm not quote unquote copying my father I am uh, using my story and my history as a part of my gimmick right? Right. Uh, Where he wasn't doing that so it's like my story to me is very real and it's very emotional to me with how I share my express myself to my fans. So right now it's the most organic thing. But uh, the more I learn about wrestling, the more I realize that anything is possible, right? So I definitely, I mean, I brainstormed hundreds of names and hundreds of gimmicks before yeah. I got into wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then Cody Rhodes was like, "Dude, just just follow your gut, man. Like, just keep your name, like." <laughs> I was like, hey, "Hey, Lance wants me to change my name. And I'm thinking of all these gimmicks and these names. And he's like, well, you know, nobody knows what you're going through but you. And I think you should follow your gut. You think you should. Brother, I'm going
0: to tell you something. If my opinion uh, of 48 years in the business means anything to you, changing your name at WWE is tantamount to career suicide. I wouldn't do it.
2: I and I think I would you know good. I might get lost in the shuffle if I did, you know. Well but that's you, the you thing, would... they can't they can't copyright my name because I've already been using it on the indies and
0: well yeah, that's yeah, my German. real name.
2: So yeah, if, if they were if they were to say, Hey, try this new character and if I didn't like it, I could always go back to the indies and, and, and be Brian Tillman Jr. Or I could say hey
0: And make a you know, better I'm, living I'm feeling
2: it. it, I wanna be me, let me be me. Absolutely. But that would be a conversation. You know, that's the thing people don't realize All it's all all it is, is entertainment, right? You know, the well, less not about. Matter.
0: You just you just brought me into a a really interesting area. You know, uh, Dan mentioned second and third generation wrestlers and a lot of people have this notion that for some reason or another that it's easier for second and third generation wrestlers to get in because of who their, you know, offspring are or were. And I'm hearing what you're saying is actually a challenge for you. How many second and third generation wrestlers do you personally know that are, that are going through that same uh, (coughs) challenge that you're going through or have gone through?
2: Uh, I've met, I've met quite a few, um, and everybody's kind of everybody's challenge is different, right? You know, everybody's story is different. You know, I know Big Sean Stud's kid. Um, I, I'm, I'm buddies with Flying Fred Curry's son, Nick Curry. Oh, sure. Yeah, he's a, you know, he's a technical technical masterpiece of a wrestler, and Big Sean Stud, who's just a, a physical huge person. You know. Oh yeah. He got his gimmick. He, the other, you know, but it's just it's it the what's gonna What's gonna six? What's gonna like? Everybody's path is gonna be different. So what's gonna be successful for one, you know, second generation is gonna be different than another. Um, yeah. But I don't know. It just it's it's all about the timing and stuff too. Like like you said, like just because you're second and third generation doesn't mean you automatically make it and automatically get in there. Uh, Absolutely. I'm blessed that my father's following was was so uh, was so passionate. Like like the way that fans remember him. And because, and Cody told me this. He said, because your dad passed the, the, the way he did and the time he did, he's more or less immortalized in people's minds and in their memories. Because you know, it's kind of like Tupac, right? It's like Tupac,
0: yeah,
2: all this music, and then he died. So people are like, oh, my God, it's the best music ever. It's, you know, it's going down in history. But it's like, in all reality, if Tupac lived another 10, 20 years, he might have made a bunch of shitty music that, like, watered down his good shit, you know. So oh, it's absolutely. Like, even though, like, my father only wrestled uh, 11 years, but that was 11 years of cream, you know, 11 years of, of, of variety and range and, and physical. Well, but, the
0: thing uh, that your father had going for him, your father was, uh, and people know this, your father was not a physically imposing individual. He wasn't a big guy, but he had a personality. Mom,
2: yeah. If he was around a day, people would, yeah, he would be big. Yeah. But maybe, maybe a little bit smaller than me. A lot of people said he was about, you know, about an inch shorter than me. And Actually.
0: Yeah. I was going to say you're, on you're on taller than me.
2: Put on his old gear. It's pretty tight on me. So.
0: Yeah. I was going to say you're, you're, when I met you, I know you're, cause I remember standing next to him. And standing next to you, I had to look up to you where with with your father, I can almost look at him, you know, look to him eye to eye.
2: He he wore, I think, early in his career, him and Steve were wearing lifts and stuff. So, you know, he did look a lot bigger in the ring, but he was a lot leaner. You know, he's a lot leaner than me. Sure. But what I was
0: getting at is that his personality showed up to the ring before he did. He had this large, you know, this large and in charge personality. Mikey, pick up on that for me, would you?
3: Yeah, I can talk about Brian Pillman Sr. quite a bit. I mean, uh, he came to the ring, I believe, to hysteria by Def Lefford before WCW was paying music rights. And, uh, you know, I, I happened to be there at the Great American Bash, 89, as a kid when Brian made his pay-per-view debut against Wild Bill Irwin. And I think he had the first match on the show, and he he impressed everybody. And he was... It was a two ring show. He was jumping from one ring into the other ring for flying body presses and doing the same move that, uh, our Brian today uses that, that vaulting kind of clothesline. Um, I I was thinking of Brian's uh, white meat baby face, uh, uh, persona and thinking we should hook him up with JJ McGuire, who used to do the music for WWE and WWF. Uh, your good friend, Angelo and,
0: I take actually my, spoke
3: to him lyrics. today. It's funny <laughs> that you should I mention you that. Should be, should be Brian's theme song because. Well,
0: I you know it's funny <laughs> that you should mention that because I talked to JJ tonight.
3: Yeah.
0: And he wrote a song for for Brian.
3: Good.
0: Called Hollywood uh, California Blondes. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. Mikey, you remember that one? Was I, I remember Cap- the
3: Hollywood Blondes tag team, but you're talking about a song for Brian. Yeah. J. 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 The,
0: the song he wrote was called California Blonde. Okay. And uh, it's, it's on the wrestling album, by the way.
3: Well, he's, yeah. J.J.
0: Yeah, Maguire. He wanted me to, to mention that to, to Brian Jr.
3: J.J. He he McGuire, who
0: wrote the uh, theme music, is a very, very dear friend of mine. And, uh, and he wrote a song for your father called California Blonde.
3: Well, he could he could also write either either use that one or write an original one. But my song title shot you can use the lyrics for Brian because uh, Brian Senior was what was what was big about him. Angelo and Brian and and um, Dan was his heart. And Jim Ross always put him over that he won the um, the Courage Award from the Cincinnati Bengals because he overcame those uh, neck surgeries from cancer as a baby, and uh, he he did have a life where he's he. he that grizzled voice that Brian Sr. had was because of all those neck surgeries and throat surgeries as a child, and um, overcoming a lot of stuff just as Brian Jr. here has overcome. I think one thing that I would, if I could, make clear on Brian's behalf is some people that maybe aren't full on wrestling fans don't realize that Brian didn't have the luxury of having his father in his life uh, as a physical presence because unfortunately. Brian Sr. passed away when Brian Jr. was only four years old. So so Brian's kind of doing this on his own. And um, exactly. guys like Steve Austin and Lance Storm have helped and have provided some guidance because they were such good friends with his dad.
0: Well, but brother, if you're going to get guidance, those are some of the best guys to get guidance from. Let me tell what, you. What what
3: oh, yeah, Lance, about,
2: Lance didn't actually know my dad at
3: all. Yeah, but they had a lot of respect. Lance, Lance had a lot of
2: respect for him, yeah.
3: Yeah, but but you've done a lot on your own that a lot of people may not realize that you're kind of out there as a, as a lone wolf.
2: You're kind of going out there as a lone wolf in this thing on your own in a lot no, of ways. You're, you're right, because you know, nobody's going you know, to tap you on the shoulder and ask you to go out there and be a pro wrestler. you, know? mm-hmm. you got to really want to. And I think for a lot of my youth and a lot of my younger years, uh, I was disappointed because I guess I was waiting for that. For that tap on the shoulder, you know, I was waiting for somebody yeah. to like Steve or, or somebody to be like, "Hey, kid, you know, you're getting older, and yeah. I see you're playing sports and that, you know, if you thought about getting into the business, and you know, that call never came. So I thought maybe, hey, maybe I'm not as good of an athlete, you know, maybe I didn't make enough of a, of a splash, or, or you know, maybe nobody's keeping tabs on me. So, well, let me tell you something: there are people taking,
0: there are there are people keeping tabs on you. More people than you realize. I'm one of those people. Well, they are now. They are now. I'm
2: talking. Well, about I'm,
0: I'll, I will tell like you now. straight up, straight shoot. I'm one of those people keeping tabs on you. You know, I told you I was going to take care of you. There's a reason I'm going to take care of you. Okay. Because I owe a lot of people. You don't need to know, but I do. Um, but I will tell you, and I'll say this in front of everybody. You've got a career ahead of you. And if you're smart about it, you'll do exactly what you're doing. Don't deviate. Trust your gut. Trust your mind. Listen to your heart because you're doing a damn good job so far.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you,
0: Go friend. ahead, Dan.
1: Um, I was going to ch- uh, chime in. He, uh, he mentioned you know, overcoming adversity, obviously, and then the success that came from that. Uh, correct. If I'm wrong, you were uh, 2019's Rookie of the Year, PWI. Correct. Mm-hmm. How does uh, How does that conversation go about? How does one find out that that's coming up?
2: Um, usually at the conventions, there'll be guys you know that work for them, and and hey, can I get a picture for you from you for the magazine? And I'm like, all right. So I'm just standing there posing for this picture. I'm thinking it's just going to be a random thing in the magazine, and of course, they like to kayfabe it and, and surprise you. So they ended up using that picture and saying Rookie of the Year on it. So I was like, well, damn, I guess I was just posing for my Rookie of the Year photo. I wish I knew, you know, I wish I knew that I, I would have wore right. something else, you know. But I got my I got my big fanny pack sticking out. So they took that picture at one of the conventions. Um, and then the, the only other part I heard of it was um, – I don't even know like i didn't really hear anything about it until like right before they were going to publish it and they were just like oh hey like and i think mlw actually um made some phone calls too because maybe they like they they contacted mlw to see how long i had been wrestling or whatever And with them and they were like oh well in 2018 like we gave him the rookie of the year award with us And then I guess MLW was like, "But it would be really cool if, like, you know, if you guys got him Rookie of the Year because the real my real Rookie of the Year, which was which the Observer the Observer actually uh, recognized 2018 as my Rookie Year, but I got second place to fucking Ronda Rousey. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, how you gonna how you gonna beat Ronda? You know, it's like shit. All right, well." So I think the Observer put me in as like second or third place in there. And then MLW went and did the gimmick with Teddy. And it was funny because it was just like totally, you know, made up fun little thing where (laughs) Teddy just like got this award made. And like, you could see like in the segment, like the undertones of him just like inventing this rookie of the year award. Um, But then MLW goes on to like actually acknowledge it. And then, and then, PWI kind of jumps in the mix and they're like, Oh, okay, let's make him a two time rookie of the year. So I think it was like a cool like, you know, project on everybody's part that just kind of build me up and 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 also like when you come to the viewers and the readers' votes, you know, the votes were unanimous. You know what I mean? It was like a sixty-nine percent and the second place was like thirteen, you know. So it's like the, the viewers definitely believe that I was, that I was still, you know, in my rookie years. And, and I definitely think, you know, with my experience that uh, I'm still, you know, warranted to be a rookie, especially my first year I was injured for, you know, four or five months. So I'm very, very glad and very blessed that, that I was able to, you know, earn those titles as, as a rookie. and And now it's all about moving forward and showing people that I am now, you know, a little bit more experienced. I'm a little more grizzled. A little more injured you know i got a separated shoulder and you know tore up left knee but at the same time those injuries and those experiences have made me a better wrestler and a, and a safer uh, worker all over the
0: absolutely team. of course mike messier
3: i was uh just wanting to ask you brian what's the status of um major league wrestling now because i was watching your match with austin aries there today and uh mlw really does have a good thing going um i think they got overshadowed a little bit by the, you know, online wrestling fans because of AEW's presence. But how is MLW doing as we stand right now? Yeah, it's
2: it's kind of crazy to think about because, you know, when we were we were getting really hot, and, like, when I say we're hot, like every arena, dude, we're always sold out. Like, we go to these – we have these certain towns where we just have a really good following, Queens, New York – uh we go to we go to dallas texas and it's just popping off you know we got the von in there and they're over like fucking grover and we go to cicero chicago where there's a you know there's a nice hispanic uh following there with the luchadors and stuff so we have a lot of good markets you know we have a lot of variety yeah. you know we got the hardcore stuff um you know so it's like we really were on a, on a tear. we really were going and we still you know before the virus, I mean, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, AEW kind of came out at the same time with a lot of their heat and a lot of their star power too, um, and you know more power too. But you look like a, you look at a guy like MJF or Jimmy Havoc, guys who have worked for both companies. So you can see that you know these are two quality companies and these are two places where a young developing talent would kill to wrestle for. So I can't say that. You know, I can't say that MLW is not going to continue to grow and continue to be a great product. I think that me and Davey Boy and the Hart Foundation and even Teddy, where his credits do and, and the amazing things that he can do in the ring, have all contributed to MLW being a major player right now. No pun intended. Major, league yeah, player. no, absolutely. But uh, uh, at the same, at the same time, the at the same time, though, like AEW's making those bigger moves, and 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 they're and they're getting the funding that they need to have a real show. So uh,
0: yeah.
2: MLW is is making some moves here soon to compete with that. And the more well, that they talk about that high level, you know, competing with AEW, it's very ambitious and it's very exciting. So I'm really glad to be a part of it. Um, but I got to do, you know. What's best for me and and, and
0: well, and Brian, the best
2: work I can at MLW because I don't you know I've re- quickly realized uh you shouldn't be like on your way out somewhere you know you shouldn't be looking for the next big thing. you should be yeah. doing the best work at MLw so uh, to say that I'm competing, I'm almost competing with aew is is a, is a quite an astounding feat, but I think there are some fans that might find more enjoyment out of the matches we have. On MLW as opposed to AEW, and vice versa, and I think that I would make a great fit for either company. But just well, I of-
0: was just going to go there. Actually, uh, I was going to bring up the AEW question. You know, um, in my intro, uh, everyone heard me say that uh, you were one of the surprise entrants in the uh, the double or nothing um, uh, battle royal. Were there any conversations then, or are there now? Conversations between you and the powers that be at AEW about uh, bringing you in uh, or using, utilizing you in some capacity in the future.
2: Yeah, I think the the conversations more or less been not very like detailed. You know, it's just kind of been like, hey, you know, whenever you're ready, you know, kind of thing. Like, um, I think I have enough. Like, so it's it's crazy because so many of my friends got signed there you know like marco stun and yeah. and sammy guevara and and, and joey janela and it's like i was buddies with all these guys like you know chilling and being on different shows and being on the indie. so it really is like the, the full extension of the spirit of the independent scene because they're yeah. actually using real indie guys that they work with you know guys that work you know PWG and different different events and stuff, and and MJF who who made a big name for himself in the Indies. So they really they really value those guys that went out there and bet on themselves. Darby Allen, close oh, friend, absolutely, one of the most talented people I've ever met. You know, very unique. You know, very weird. um And that's what I told you earlier. Like only the weirdest, craziest people are going to make it in wrestling. <laughs> like right. It's, it's well, sad because I see, you I see what, guys that are, that are really good. I see guys that are really technical, especially at this local school here. I'm like, dude, you're really good. You're awesome. But you just are not fucking weird enough to make it in this business. <laughs> you don't go in that ring and do anything that makes me go like, ooh, you know, like you don't have any swagger or charisma or whatever it is. Yeah. You ain't got it. And sometimes you can't teach it. And that's the sad thing.
0: Well, you know th- that's a great segue. You know, talk about wrestling training, um, and you've talked about yours. We actually have Danny Cage coming on from the Monster Factory. Oh wow, I love that. Yeah, Danny will be on, and I knew Larry Sharp. I knew him. I knew Larry very very well. Okay, and um, so we're going to talk about wrestling training. Talk to me about the training process now. I've been out of the loop a little bit in in regards to. Training schools. Um, in certain areas, the, there are hotbeds
2: of training. Let's remind you, I got a message him actually. Oh, okay. Because I'm I'm going to be going up to Pittsburgh this weekend to uh, try to steal some ring time.
0: Nice. Oh, okay. uh,
2: yeah. I can stop in Philly and, and and get some time with him too. Well, um, brother,
0: if you're around, hit me up. I'm I'm ten minutes away. Yeah. I mean, the monster factory is literally yeah. 10 minutes from my house.
2: Let me message him real quick, just while it's on my
0: mind here. Good. Take your time. I'm glad I could help.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the reminder.
0: Reminds me of that story, Angela,
3: we were talking off the air about when I met Larry Sharp and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and the, the wrestler that would be Papa Shango slash yeah, uh, the,
0: Godfather.
3: the Godfather at that same 89 Bash. Situation. Bear the
0: Soul Taker. That's right. Yep. Charles Wright. Great, great great guy. Really nice guy. Super guy. Um, while we got a lull in the action here, we, uh, just to remind everybody, Thursday of this week, the godfather of wrestling journalism will be here. Bill Apter Ooh. will join us. Yeah. <laughs>
2: great, yeah. Great guy.
0: Brian, you want to do a run-in on Bill?
2: Sure, I'll run in there him up and drop him on his head. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I could
0: do that. Bill's a good dude. Yeah, Bill's a great guy. He's going to be with us on Thursday. Um, So talk to me about the training process. There are certain parts of the country that are hotbeds for wrestling training. Um, The West Coast, of course, you know, um, uh, San Francisco, Oregon, uh, here on the East Coast, New York, New Jersey... Chicago, of course, in the middle of the country, and Texas. Um, Where can a young, up-and-coming, would-be wrestler, uh, and you can, I'll give you the opportunity to plug whatever school you might recommend, Um, where can they go to get professional, efficient training without being taken for a money ride?
2: Uh, you know, when it comes to the money, the financially thing, um, I don't have the best vision of that. Cause when I went to Lance's, it was like 3,200 Canadian. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure what schools are charging in the States. Um, I would say roughly, you know, $1,200 to $2,000 for an introduction kind of training. And then after that, a lot of places have a ring fee after that. You pay five dollars to come in to practice and just train and shit after you've like paid all, all your the rest of your dues. So um like when it yeah. comes to like a financial kind of thing, I'm not really sure like the cheapest place to train. Yeah. Um but as far as like schools that I think are really top notch, I really do love Danny's school. Um I think he's got a lot of uh smart young kids there that are training because they know as good as i do that it's a good school um because he has they do shows and they have consistent training and like they legit are made to do drills and they're legit made to run and shit like it's not like you know it's more like a football team you know sure and like a successful program not just to come in and hang out and and do moves and and fuck around for two hours yeah I went to his training class, and we were busting our asses, and we were working on hard, and the next thing I knew, it was over, and I didn't want yeah. it to be over because we were getting so much done, you know, but he's like, oh, yeah, that's all we got, I'm like, dude, like, you know, but when you're sitting around, dragging around, doing nothing, you know, you get nothing done, you feel like you're in there all night, but then you fucking bust your ass, and time flies, yeah. and next thing you know, you're, you're a better wrestler than, than you were yesterday, so. Um, I really enjoy school. Like I said, I just texted him. I'm hoping maybe he'll open up his doors for me this weekend. Uh, I'm going up there to see my girlfriend, so it'd be nice to yeah. get in the ring, even if it's just me. You know, I don't know if he lets his students in right now because the yeah. the air, you
0: let me know if you're if you're in the area? You let me know for sure. Okay,
2: for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll be I'll well, you there. At we, uh,
0: we promise to bring you back for part two. Uh, we are at. <laughs> The one-hour mark, and uh, thought I'd keep you for an hour tonight. I know you got a few things that you want to do, a couple more beers to kill, and
2: <laughs> no, I, I actually like to have a couple of beers when I do. Maybe a some
0: herbal medicine to take.
2: <laughs> help, helps things flow, you know.
0: I hear you, brother. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's uh, give your uh, social media. Where can people find you? How can they get a hold of you for appearances, bookings, all that?
2: Yeah, Thank you. I wasn't trying to rush out of here. I was having a really good time. But, uh, oh, well, Brian,
0: if you want to hang me, out,
2: catch me on. Well, I got to take a shower now. I'm gross. Oh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> that's why I got a hat on because my mullet doesn't look very nice right now. But, uh, <laughs> you can catch me on Twitter at Flying Brian Jr. and Instagram at Flying Brian 41. Uh, I don't use Facebook very often, so don't even try.
0: There you go. All right, well, this is part one of A Promise 2 Partner. Brian Pillman Jr. will be back with us on May 26th for part two of the Flying Brian Pillman Jr. story. And we're going to drop the flying and just call him Brian.
2: <laughs>
0: All right, Brian, thank you, my friend.
2: No, thank you for having me. I really enjoy it.
0: You're, you're quite welcome. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you uh, in a couple of days. And uh, like I said, if you're around uh, Philly and Jersey... Hit me up, all right?
2: Absolutely, brother.
0: You got it, my Thank friend. You. Take Bro, care, everybody. My Thanks, Brian. Brian. Brian Pillman Jr., everyone. Brian Thank Pillman Jr. Guys. Take care, Brian. Bye-bye. <laughs> all right, you guys. We are back. I think oh. Dan froze up. No. Oh, he's, he's good. Oh, there he is. I was just
1: sitting still because he was talking.
0: You're sitting real still.
3: You <laughs> got, you got MK Ultra for a second, Angelo. Come on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Dan, what do you think, brother?
1: Uh, I think that was great. Um, had a lot to say and it's such a unique, you know, for, for all the second and third, I would, I guess legacy wrestlers is the, the kind of umbrella they put him under. He has such a unique story to tell. It's nice to hear it straight from him and, and the perspective, yeah. you know, I mean, who, How, how cool is that to be able to say, you know, I woke up and I wanted to be a wrestler. And my first phone call was to Steve Austin. And then, you know, not too long later, you're training, you're up in Calgary training with Lance. And it's such a good story. Uh, Almost, you know, we, we, we talk a lot on the show about sometimes you just can't script stuff that good. And it's just, it's such a good story.
0: Well, Dan, when he says that he's blessed, you have no idea how, how blessed he is. Um. That young man has a lot of goodwill going for him, right? Uh, yeah. Largely, in in some regard, yeah, because of his father, but largely because, as you can tell, he's a really likable young guy.
1: Yes, and so, and he's a an, he's an amazing talent too. Like he can, oh, carry, incredible. I mean, you know, uh, like we talked about with the names, he
2: he, yeah. you
0: could
1: call him anything besides Brian Pillman Jr., and he'd still be. Top two, three matches on any yeah. party he's, he's
0: on. And hey, you know what? Let's talk about that for a minute, Mike Messier. Let's—I want you to chime in on this one with with me and Dan. Sure. Um, you know, early on in his career, I'm—and I haven't asked him. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll save it for part two to ask him. But he went immediately with the name Flying Brian Pillman Jr. Right? Yes. In retrospect, Mikey. Was that a good move for for uh, recognizability sake? Or was it a bad move in that people, as I said earlier, may pigeonhole him?
3: I feel it's a good move. And I'll I'll, uh, the example of someone who, whether their choice or the promotion's choice to not use their father's name and it backfired. Yeah, I can give you two examples that we'll all know. Curtis Axel. And Bo Dallas. There you go. And um, I would hate for Brian Pillman Jr. And look, I'll be honest, I can't put my, myself in his shoes, but from the interviews, I've listened to Brian Pillman Jr. speak about his dad and also his mom that he's talked about very personal with those Chris Van Vliet interviews yeah. and the Stone Cold podcast with Steve Austin. Brian was four years old when his father passed away. For him yeah. to use his dad's name... I respect it as that's his way to connect with his dad, right. and
0: yeah, what, yeah, you know, absolutely. So, and I'll tell you, you know what, Mikey, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right just for just for a second, because and I want you to continue, but when you said connect with his dad, it reminded me of a visual that I saw the night that I met Brian.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He was wearing his father's boots, right, and trunks, and. Um, you know, it was the, the Hollywood blonde uh, trunks. Right. Um, they were a bit, you know, a bit loose on him. You know, he's a bigger guy than his father. They should have been tight, but they were loose because they were so worn out. Right. But he wore them as a way of directly connecting with his father. The interesting story about that. Is and I don't Dan. I don't know if you ever heard this story. This is a true story. There was a woman who bought Brian Pillman Sr.'s uh boots, vest, and trunks at an auction, okay, on okay. eBay.
1: I assume that this was after he had passed, yeah. Okay,
0: she bought them off of eBay. All right, um, I believe it was Brian's wife, Melanie. I think that's her name melanie
3: melanie was he, his wife when he passed away Brian right and that's
0: it, melanie mm-hmm. yes and she put his uh items up for sale uh, okay. for auction and this woman bought it well fast forward many years later the same woman goes to starcade i mean st- uh, um yeah was it uh, starcast starcast starcast,
1: starcast. Yeah, okay the convention, in las
0: no. vegas right okay mm-hmm. And she gives him the boots, the vest, and the trunks, and says, "I think your father would want you to have these." That's awesome. Is that's that cool. remarkable or what? Oh, Go ahead, Mikey. Cool story. It, it's
3: it's a tough it's a situation. Cool story, that, it's a great story because, like he he talked about, uh, Steve Austin gave him a weight training belt of his dad's, and. And I think it's one of those yeah. things where, Angela, you touched upon it early in the podcast that people might have been fearful for Brian because of not only his father's early death, yeah. Kurt Henning, Rick Rude, uh, this generation well, yeah. of, of mid-80s to mid-90s guys that we could we could sit here and name guys that died before their time all night. Louis Piccoli, I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And those Brian. were the guys that were Brian Sr.'s peer group, and a lot of them died young, lived hard, and died yeah, young. Right. And I think that well, the, we fear that. for. A, a, but luckily, as evidence tonight on the podcast, Brian Pillman Jr. is very level-headed. He yeah. is very safe in the ring. He's not going to take any unnecessary bumps, or he's going to limit those unnecessary bumps at least. And that's
0: why I brought up what I did. You know, we've seen... Time and time again, Mike and Dan, where second and third generation wrestlers, unfortunately, met the same fate as their offspring. Right. You know, where, uh, you know, reckless partying, drug abuse, uh, taking, you know, unnecessary bumps or chair shots or, you know, crazy dives that they had really no place taking. Mm mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and the lack of training to pull it off, quite frankly. And that's why when we do our show with Danny Cage, which is a special interest to Dan, um, we're going to talk about the level of training that some of these guys are getting, and in some cases, not getting.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I've brought that up before. Some of the... And Brian yeah. talked about AEW. There's several high-profile... I don't want to use the term stars, but high profile stars in AEW who were legit outlaw back backyard wrestlers who never oh, trained. Yeah. They and you watch their matches and it's blatantly obvious it's a guy who's he's he's doing moves he saw on TV and he over time you learn how to do them safer, but it doesn't yeah. look it looks like two two it, friends fight, you know, pretending to be wrestlers in a basement. And well,
0: yeah, Dan. You to that your
1: fine line,
0: Dan. To your point, Jim Cornette calls that the video game generation.
1: Yes, and he's he's absolutely right, and and yeah. Jim Cornette is not in any way shy of his opinion of like a Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks
0: yeah, and Jimmy exactly. Havoc, and
1: some of these guys.
0: Yeah, and it's blatantly obvious that okay, and I understand MLW and AEW. Uh, you know, garnering their talent from the indies. Because let's be honest, you know, we're all fans of indie wrestling. Um, In fact, dare I say, I probably prefer it over, you know, WWE or uh, any of their byproducts. Uh, I certainly uh, uh, approve of it over uh, MLW and AEW. But AEW, in my regard, in my opinion, if that matters, is doing justice to the indies by two things. Number one, garnering their talent directly from the indies. And number two, acknowledging it. And that's something nobody ever did before. They never acknowledged that there was this this world of indie wrestling. You'll never hear the WWE acknowledge that there's even... And, and in the circuit out there.
1: Exactly. I was just about to say that the WWE went through a, a bit where they kind of did a, a talent, you know, like they, they rated Ring of Honor and some of the indie promotions. And yeah. when you had your, your you know, uh, 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 Castagnoli becoming Cesaro and Tyler Black becoming Seth Rollins. You, you, you changed the names. You don't ever acknowledge their past, and they start talking about these guys like these, you know, the, the, these rookies they call them, these young up and comers who have been wrestling for ten years. You're you're not only ignoring their past, but you're telling their fans, anybody who was a fan of theirs before WWE, you 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 don't matter as a fan.
0: Well, and that's where I'm going to go, Mike Messier. Please do. Okay. These guys had a life and a career before WWE. They were obviously seen and recorded and acknowledged for who they are and who they were up until they got to WWE. And then as Dan said, they completely eviscerated their history and created this new history for them. But there are people who are watching the show going, Oh, that's Tyler black. I saw him at OVW. Sure. Well, Oh, that's um, um, a uh, Cesaro. What was his name before? I forget.
1: Claudio Castagnoli. Cla- yeah,
0: Claudio. Right.
1: Yeah. Castagnoli. Yep.
0: Right. Uh, you know, and but they don't acknowledge that. A- again, not right. acknowledging the Indies and only acknowledging the quote performance center. if as if for some reason you know. Or in some capacity, the Performance Center represents the Indies, which, yeah, by yeah. the way, it, it does not. No, absolutely. So, Mikey, tell me yes. what's wrong. What can the WWE learn from somebody like Brian Jr.?
3: Well, they can they can learn a lot. And, um, I mean, just, just to go back and give some historical context, that's been going on since the mid-'80s at least. I mean... Yeah. When Greg Valentine came on Piper's Pit and, and Captain Lou Albano made the peace between Piper and Valentine, that wasn't because of a WWF angle. That was because of Star Kate 83 a year earlier. Yeah, And I just watched that Piper's Pit a few days ago, so that's why I'm thinking of it. But I remember even as a kid that it was very rare for the WWF, even by 84, 85, to acknowledge that David Schultz and Mean Gene and Hulk Hogan had history in Minnesota. You know, that was big for them. And yeah, I think what it comes just to give a historical context, the reason why is because Vince McMahon Jr. Likes to put his C with a circle or his TM with a circle around everything.
0: He that's what I was saying, Dan, that's what right. I was saying. Yep, it's it's absolutely. it's if He's you ever watched, find a way to market it, brother.
3: Well, if you ever watch the beyond the, mat, uh, beyond the mat beyond the mat commentary with Terry Funk, Terry Funk says that if there's a wrestling match going on anywhere in the world, Vince McMahon wants to make a dollar off of it. Absolutely. That's that's why all these promotions that they helped put out of business, Jim Crockett, Mid-South, AWA, uh, Calgary, etc. cetera, etc. cetera, et cetera, ad nauseum, that's why they're on the WWE network. Because now Vince can make his dollars off of all these guys that yep. he wasn't making the dollars off of until he did. Um, the question well, what
0: you're what you're finding now though, Mikey, sure, is that because independent promotions are wise to that, they're doing one of two things. They're asking money that they think they're worth, number one, and number two, refusing outright to do business with them at all. With them and WWE. They, they, you know, yeah. look. It's it's the old adage of you know making a deal with the devil. Sure. Right.
1: Well, and, and that was something I I brought up. Uh, I think the very very first bit we did together when we were interviewing Karen McDaniel, I mentioned that you know exactly. Vince McMahon was buying I mean, the, the, a lot of these territories that he would run out of business and then buy. He didn't want their talent or their their ter- their contracts yeah. or whatever. He wanted their tape archives because he Absolutely. knew selling those tapes is, like you said, Mike, is the only way he was going to make money. I mean, he had, you know, he goes and he, he raids Calgary and he brings in like Dino Bravo and those guys. yeah. And, and But, you know, but at that point, you're a little past your prime. But now I can sell some tapes on the, or there's the WWE Network. There's, yeah. you know, uh, these these matches from the 70s and 80s. He, the entire AWA archive is on the WWE Network now. Vern Gagne yeah. would never have given Vince McMahon a, a, a stick of gum, more or less a dollar. And here Vince McMahon's making, making money off, uh, off an entire other territory.
0: Exactly.
3: Well, Dad, uh, the, the question you asked, Angelo, and I, I didn't answer it yet was convince, if, if the question is, convince McMahon Jr., who I think is 72 or 74, learn anything? 74. Can he? Can he? Yes. Will he? No. no. And I think I've, I've reached that brittle, nasty point. Along with a lot of other internet smart wrestling fans, who are at that, it's a real sick point to be at. Yeah. But we're basically waiting for the old man Vince to fucking die, and sure. and I hate to say it, and and that's no. Why I
0: did, mean, you know what, Mikey? We gotta we gotta just call a spade a spade. Sure. Yeah, I mean that that's yeah. that's really it. Yeah,
1: yeah and, and yeah. I think one of the things that's kind of. I, I hate to I hate to be admit that, you know, part of me is in that group as well. And one of the things that's helped push me in that direction is how good the NXT product has been compared to the main roster. When you see what the WWE could be if you take Vince McMahon out of the equation.
0: Well, and here's the thing, Dan.
1: I mean, just... You oh, know. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, I, I was just going to say, you know, I, I, I don't... Not that I want him to die. I don't want anybody to die. No, sure. Here, here's the thing, though. I want him to walk away gracefully. Yes. I want him to acknowledge that he's done an amazing job of creating this conglomerate. Mm-hmm. I want him to acknowledge that he had, I know Mikey, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> that's so angry.
3: I, I, I know going, that,
0: that that's a. We'll, we'll, we're going to, we're going to have that show I'm too, up anyway. brother.
3: I'm hulking up. I'm hulking up. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: we, we are. Go- I promise you, we are going to have that show. Um, but I would like very much for Vince just to, you know, acknowledge what he's done, pat himself on the back, take a bow, and walk away.
1: Yeah, I think
3: that's what
0: things, I would like to see.
3: Uh, I'd I like think to see Stephanie that's Seymour that's and Cindy Crawford come into my bedroom right now, but that's <laughs> not going to happen either, <laughs> even if they're both fifty
1: <laughs> <Uh-oh>. or whatever. <laughs> well, I think I think one of the things that's kind of My opinion, I think one of the things that's keeping him around is the bottom. I mean, just last week, Raw had its lowest rating in the history of the program, going back to a main event of, you know, all Jim Duggan versus Shawn Michaels. I mean, lowest, lowest rating in history. I don't think Vince McMahon wants to leave his company When it's in the worst state it's ever been in, get that little ratings bump. Do something to. They just ESPN just announced they're going to start mixing rosters again, and there's some other. Well, and I
0: understand. I understand, Dan, what you're saying. Yeah. But as as Mikey will tell you, because we're older and we know, especially me, because I'm older than both of you, uh, it's a catch-22. Right. And and it really is a catch-22. Because, as long as he's there, they're going to continue to garner low ratings mm-hmm. okay him staying there because the ratings are low in hopes of bolstering the rating is is a it's a non starter it it's it's a non sector yep. it can't happen, and it won't happen. he's lost touch you know he had they called him the man with the Midas touch. He had the golden touch. Right. right. Everything he touched turned to money. Okay? Now, he, he may as well have a brown finger. <laughs> okay? Because it's shit. Yeah. It really is. Go ahead, Mike. You're chomping here.
3: I'm chomping because before WrestleMania this year, 2020, which was a pre-tape WrestleMania, and, and I... Did a video that I said, maybe this WrestleMania will be great. You know, we, we there were such low expectations that if anything was decent, we'd enjoy it. And I did enjoy this WrestleMania. I liked the Boneyard match. I liked the Cena you know, Bray Wyatt movie match. But right. there was a rumor at the time that Vince McMahon is going to announce his retirement and hand the business over to Shane McMahon. That was the rumor. That did not happen. Okay. Then... Uh, last week, I did a podcast right here on the Wrestling with the Future podcast family of shows, the Refs Roundtable. Yep. Myself and Nikita Bresnikov discussed what if Vince sells to ESPN, um, and that hasn't happened. Now we that could still happen, but it hasn't as of this minute. The yeah. point is, Dean Ambrose said on the Chris Jericho podcast that Vince is quote going to die in the chair, and it's a very. What do you um, say it? I, it, it's a very strong statement and it's very vicious and sick, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's from a place of hate or anger from Ambrose. Moxley. No,
0: it's not. It's, it's not.
3: And Jericho kept saying over and over again, Jericho. And they just had the, re- the, the revolt or the f- team formerly known as the revival on there. Yeah. And the, the same thing came up, which is all these guys want the WWE and the business to do better. We as fans want the WWE and the business to do better. But we've hit our breaking point. And last night, I can give you a quick example. I I tuned on. I saw Becky Lynch's big pregnancy announcement. Mm, I stuck around for the next match, which was uh, Bobby Lashley was beating up one of um, Xena Vega's guys. And I said, you know what? I'm going to watch the Aaron Hernandez series on Netflix because I'm not going to sit through Raw. It's not challenging my intellect. As yep. a wrestling fan, I'm not being fulfilled. Exactly. Uh, I've already seen the big thing of the night. I mean, they didn't build it up. Just here comes Becky. and She's pregnant. And let's right. give her some hugs. And we're done. And I, yeah. I really didn't feel inclined that my life was being serviced by sticking around for another two and a half hours after that.
0: Well, here, here's the here, here's the problem. Okay. The problem is as long as and, and follow my train of thought here because I think both of you will understand it. Yeah. As long as the WWE continues to tank in the ratings, mm-hmm. so too will MLW and AEW and Ring of Honor. They will all follow suit yep. because WWE, like it or not, face to fact or not, they are the leader. Where the leader goes, everyone will follow. If WWE is doing exceedingly well, guess what, guys? AEW okay. does well. Um, MLW yep. does well. Ring of right. Honor does well. New Japan, they all do well. If WWE does well. If WWE is in the shitter, so is the rest of the business. Yep. And that's a sad truth. It's hard to swallow, but it's the truth.
1: Well, and you listen to somebody like a like a Jim Cornette who just absolutely is, is is eviscerates the current product
0: oh my god he's and, brutal and you
1: you hear the way he talks about it he wants to be a wrestling fan i know people yeah. his age and and older and people my age that want they grew up in the 70s the 60s the 70s the 80s they want to be wrestling fans i want to turn on raw and be entertained i want to watch wrestling and it be good but it's yeah. not i don't want wrestling to fail i want it to be good and and that's that's what's so frustrating is it's not a sitcom where it's, ah, it's it sucks. I'll watch something else. I want wrestling to be entertaining, and it isn't. Yeah. I see these moments. Like uh, I'll admit, I watched the Money in the Bank pay per view on Sunday, and I thought it was actually surprisingly entertaining. And you know, there were moments where it's like this could be what your program is every week, and it's not.
0: Yeah, and, and just- but and but it was Dan for years. Exactly, it was for years. Here, here's something interesting. And this might surprise you, Dan. When Jeff the Ref and I started this podcast a year ago, Mm -hmm. he was the fan. I wasn't. Okay. Right. What got me back into watching wrestling again was going to indie shows. And I would watch a little bit of the product on TV just to stay current for the podcast. Of course. And then something interesting happened. They started getting better. And I was watching a little more. And then somewhere along the line, Mike Messier, somewhere along the line, WWE did what they always do. They took something great and fucked it up. (laughs) And I haven't watched WWE products since. I will watch AEW. And I'll even watch, and this will surprise you, I'll even watch nwa okay okay
1: i'll admit power has had some good episodes
0: okay if you accept it for what it is i put nwa power and you might laugh at me for this but i put nwa power in the same category as the original glow okay because of the because,
3: comedy with the former Damian Sandow and because, the yes. mask guy, and and it's
0: because it's not, it's a television show, a comedy show, with wrestling as the subtext. Well, the Nick
3: Aldis and uh, Tim Storm stuff was really good. I was going to well, say well, you maybe,
1: can't maybe, go, maybe go
0: not, wrong. Maybe you not can. a
1: comedy, but it is definitely, and, and that's part of what its appeal was. Is Power reminded me of the old. When I was growing up, it was channel local channel thirteen that the local wrestling show. You know, yeah. where the, half the matches were in front of a painted background. You know, it, it 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 was it's it's a television show that happens to be about wrestling. It's not
0: brother. Let me tell no. you something, Dan. I'm gonna let me let me let me sit back here, young man. Let me tell you. Let the old man tell you a story. Uh oh. Back in the day, back in the '60s. Way, way long before either one of you were a thought, okay? <laughs> there was studio wrestling used to come on uh, uh, here in Philadelphia on channel 48, okay? It was on the UHF channels. Studio wrestling from Pittsburgh. That's where I was first introduced to Bruno. First time I ever saw Bruno. Bruno. The announcer was Bill Cardill. Uh, Bruno was on the, on the show. A young Johnny Valiant who was using the name John Sullivan at the time. Um, a young Greg Valentine. Wrestling in a building the size of a shoebox <laughs> with a painted background. Ten chairs on three sides of the ring. That was it. No chairs on the hard camera side. Okay. That was it. That was my introduction to wrestling. And guess what? I loved it.
2: Sure.
0: I loved it. I, it, because to me, that painted wall looked like an arena full of people. And I didn't care and I didn't know. Yep. Didn't matter. Okay.
1: I, I think it's funny. Um, we've talked to NWA just, what, I guess a couple months ago now. They had a short, short run, but the, uh, the Rock and Roll Express won the NWA tag titles again. Yeah. And that moment, I mean, I, I was so excited. Jim Cornette, who was the announcer at the time, he gets out of the, off the, behind the table and then he's celebrating the ring. And it was just such a moment. I mean, here yeah. are guys, I love the Rock and Roll Express. They, you know, they were my favorites growing up.
0: Oh, but, I know. Honest,
1: you know, many, many years past, past the peak of theirs, of their, of their, you know, t- uh, Glory days, I guess, whatever you want to call it.
0: But they
1: are well past their prime. They're still one of the greatest products because they got in the ring and they told a story. And the second they started telling that story, I was hanging off the edge of my seat. Are they are these guys gonna do it? And they did, and it was exciting. And I mean it probably wasn't that good of a match. I don't care because I was invested.
0: It it didn't matter. That's the point. It didn't matter. They're they're the same. That still work and Gibson can't. and, (laughs) And and Mikey will remember because it was it was me, Mikey and Jeff the ref and we were on we were going on the air at 7:30 during the during the show um Jeff was watching the NWA and he called that win on the air <laughs> you know he goes number 9 number 9 I went <laughs> They won. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> right. Ricky is 63. Robert 61. And they won the tag titles. Good I, for tell them. you what
1: Rick, might might he, be 61. Ricky Moore still got the best looking mullet in the business.
0: Well, he, don't let me don't tell go. you something, brother. He <laughs> rocks that mullet too. And that and he's over.
1: Absolutely. He's over. All
0: right. Have... Well, listen, fellas. Uh, we got a uh, we got a big couple of weeks coming up. Um, we've got, of course, uh, you know, this Thursday, Bill Apter, the uh, godfather of uh, wrestling journalism, will be with us. That's to going that. to be a, a really, really good conversation. Also, Danny Cage from the Monster Factory will be with us on the same show.
3: Nice,
0: because um, Bill's going to be with us for about thirty minutes. Um, so we, we're not going to have a lot of time with him, but I'll get him to come back because um, I got his phone number now. Um, Uh-oh. The other thing is we've got ladies night coming up, but we've got three special shows featuring three of the most dynamic women wrestlers in the business and Casey. We've got Joyce Grable. And Leilani Kai. And that's going to be big. Absolutely. That's going to be big. We're going to do special, separate shows for each of them. Um, we also have, I believe, on June the 26th, we're going to have a special non-wrestling episode with Mike Williams from the Sage of Quay and Mikey Messier. You know who, you know, Dan, do yeah. you know who Mike Williams is? Uh, I'm
1: afraid I don't, actually.
0: Okay, I want you to check him out. Sa- Sage uh, of
3: Quay, real quick, Angelo, Um, he has a lot of videos about Paul is dead, and Beatles fans, or even non-Beatles fans. That's,
1: you, Yes, yeah, the Paul is dead conspiracy. You'd mentioned him before. That's where I'd
0: heard yes. the name. Okay. Right. He and also just did an interesting 3-hour video with uh, Vince Russo as a matter of fact.
3: Yeah, Vince Russo became a real advocate for those videos and turned on a lot of yeah. the brand members onto the I, I thought it was Sage's Qu, Sage of Quai. was it quay or quai? Sage okay. of Quay. And a yeah. uh, really fascinating guy and uh his YouTube channel and all his stuff has just blown up his website. So that's going to be fascinating. Oh my
0: god, yeah. Yeah, we're going to have Mike Williams for about an hour and a half. Good. Nice. So that's going to be a really good show. Um, We've got Scott Teal coming in, Sam Houston. Um, Oh, my God. Who else do we have? Um, I have my book, but I don't feel like pulling it out right now. Um, We've got Nikita Brezhnikov coming back. Oh, we've got a special roundtable coming up with uh, Nikki Brezhnikov, Mike uh, Messier, Yourself, Dan, and me. We're going to do a special episode dedicated to politics and religious angles in wrestling. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, I'll cite some of them right now. Uh, Of course, the crucifixion angle in ECW. Mm -hmm. um, A similar angle, satanic angle in WWE regarding Stephanie McMahon and The Undertaker and Steve Austin. Um, that's just a couple off the <laughs> top of my head.
1: Vince McMahon wrestling God,
0: yeah. I think um, God
1: no showed that one, or did he make a? Did you?
0: Did, did he show yeah. up
3: late and do a run-in at the end?
0: You yeah, do you, got Mike, you the... remember that the episode uh, of Raw where uh, Undertaker came out and the line of Druids came out and then Vince unveils himself? What, what was that? The, that it was what greater what power. Was,
3: the greater power angle. Yeah, yeah. Ben, and the, I think it was the summer of 99. And basically what was going on was that behind the scenes, they were talking to bring in Christopher Daniels, who was a pretty up and coming young guy. But going oh, way Daniels. back. Sure. yeah. I know that they,
1: uh, PWI had had mentioned that the, the original pitch was Jake Roberts, but he was in no position to be on TV at the time.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, what I heard from from Bruce Pritchard and Christopher Daniels himself, and I think even Austin acknowledged that it was supposed to be Christopher Daniels, that the WWE, everyone but Vince wanted to bring Christopher Daniels in. They brought him into the office. Vince took a look at him, and he's short, pal. He can't be in this. So Vince, you know, took his mighty pencil and erased... Christopher Daniels and put himself right back he, in the spot. Of course say, he did. He
1: he getting over at the time with the fallen angel gimmick, wasn't that where that came
3: from? He was, Why but he it was odd. Oh my because, god,
0: he was all, huge over with it.
3: But but that wasn't even in uh, TNA. TNA didn't in, even exist yet. This right. was like ninety nine. So Daniels yep. was an indie guy, but he was an over indie guy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, he, let's put well, this: he could have pulled it off. He could have he could have pulled Christy it off as a Daniels. mouthpiece. Nothing else.
0: Uh, Christopher Daniels uh, did the Fallen Angel, also in ECW.
3: Yeah, he did, but it, very towards the end of ECW, there wasn't yeah. much
0: time left. Yeah, actually, no, but yeah. yeah, but but he was he was around though.
3: Yeah, my point is that he didn't have national exposure, so it would have been no, a, a not on problem. that
0: level. But with the no, audience they had back then, I mean, that was when
1: Raw was getting six, eight million people a week. I think the audience would have recognized him, at least a lot of them would have.
0: Oh, sure.
3: I got to say, I knew who he was. Christopher Daniels once did me a real solid. uh, It's a long story. I'll make it quick. I left my eyeglasses in a Ring of Honor dressing room. And let's put it this way. I wasn't exactly welcome back into the dressing room because I had just left it. And um, Christopher Daniels, I meekly went back and asked for my glasses. And Christopher Daniels gave me my glasses back. So I've always been a big fan
0: of his ever since then. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, fellas, let's plug our socials. Go ahead, Mikey.
3: Well, you've got, we've just on the show. You've also got Phil Larusa, friend of Jimmy Snooker. Yeah, coming in June. You've got Tom Jaron from Old Hollywood, yes. uh, the master of sitcom and memorabilia from the nineteen sixties. you You got Scott Teal, the writer. Yeah. Uh, you've Absolutely. got a couple of other shows uh, in what's left of May. Doc Diamond. Uh, you're going to bring in, I think, Tombstone Jesus again. Yes, Uh, and then Brian Pillman will be returning on May 26th, and maybe I'll pitch him my my angle with him and Dustin Rhodes at AEW, Angelo. If you if you think I should, but you got to lose. (sighs) Yeah,
1: as long as you have uh, your script ready, I don't don't think he's going to want you shuffling for it.
3: Oh, I don't need to read it. It's off. I mean, we we had it on the uh, January 3rd episode of the of this very show. Uh, Jeff the ref was a big fan of it. My uh, Dustin Rhodes. Brian Pillman Jr. But as far as Mike Messier goes, MikeMessier.com recently finished another very short film, 40 seconds, uh, titled The Never Was. Uh, I've been putting stuff like The Wrestling Son and my sit-down with Sandman on the Wrestling With The Future podcast YouTube channel.
0: Yes. And uh, And I want to tell people that Mike Messier will continue to upload uh, more pertinent uh, short films on to wrestling with the future, uh, MikeMessier.com, uh, and Mike Messier's YouTube channel as well. But uh, Mike has a uh, uh, an abundant uh, collection of uh, films that he's uh, uh, that he's done over the years. Uh, some of them new, some of them older, but they're all very entertaining and uh, and thought provoking. So you'll get used to seeing a lot of uh, a variety. I think there's a, quite a bit of variety on our YouTube right now. Mm-hmm. We've got okay. the refs roundtable. We have our flagship show, of course. Uh, and, uh, and Mike Messier's interviews and films. You can catch an interview, on the, by the way, on the YouTube channel with the champion boxer Vinny Pazienza. Yep. Great, the great interview Mike did with Vinny Paz. Um, and we're going to try and get him on the ball. show.
3: Yep, he was the referee for when Butterbee knocked out uh, Bart Gunn in WrestleMania fifteen. Vinny was Paz the- was the ref in Philadelphia. Nice. Hey.
0: Um, how about you, Dan? We got some something to plug here.
1: Well, I mean, uh, we we have our new and improved YouTube channel. You mentioned Wrestling with the Future podcast. We're on yep. Twitter, uh, Wrestling Future No G Wrestling Future, and then uh, our Facebook page, Wrestling with the Future Podcast. I'm also on Twitter, The Man Underscore wwtf so check us all out uh we've got a pretty good social media presence right now
0: yeah we have a new private group as well wrestling with the future podcast mm-hmm. that's a group you got to answer some questions to join and uh we've got we're almost 200 members right now
1: yes including a lot of our previous guests who have commented it's in pre- the conversation has yeah. been very active so far
0: yeah in fact um We've got uh, see uh, Ann Casey joined, Joyce Grable joined, um, Tony Volano, yep. the president of the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame joined us, uh, Johnny Mantell, Scott Casey, they'll all be back on show, by the way, in, in the upcoming months, right. and uh, of course, you know, as, uh, as Dan just said, uh, wrestling with the future is, uh, is very visible on social media. Wrestling future is on Twitter at wrestling future, uh, facebook.com forward slash wrestling with the future. And our group is wrestling with the future podcast. That's our private group. If you want to join it, if you've got questions or comments for the show or guest ideas, hit me up at wrestling with the future at gmail.com. And I answer everything that comes in. If it takes me a couple of days to get back to you. Bear with me because uh, I'm one person, folks, and there's a lot of stuff to go through. So, for Mike Messier, for Dan the Man Sebastiano, I'm Psychic Medium Angelo. Take care, everybody, and happy wrestling. <laughs>